0: I have met so many incredible people in that work that have advanced my career and supported me and given me community. I didn't apply to be honored by President Obama. It was folks that I had worked with across decades that nominated me to be recognized by the most powerful office in this world. How was it? It was mortifying and beautiful. And (laughs) who do you respect more than President Barack Obama? Uh, Maybe Michelle, but don't tell him.
1: Exactly. Everybody, Jason Patria here, and you are listening to the Lead With Your Brand podcast, which is the podcast for folks just like you who are looking to show your value. Turn up the volume and lead with your brand towards your next career breakthrough. We've got an amazing guest on the show. It is David Ambrose, who is the head of Community Engagement West for Amazon and the author of a brand new book, A Place Called Home. But before we get to David, let's talk a little bit about your brand. Now, I am coming to you from Las Vegas, Sin City, because I am here speaking at a conference. In fact, I am coming to you from the Bellagio Hotel, where I'm looking out at their crazy fountain show and looking over to Paris, Las Vegas. And it's crazy, because when you're here in Las Vegas, it is like brands are all over the place. Now, earlier today, when I was speaking at the this conference, somebody asked me when we did the activity that I always do, where I ask everyone, if you were a type of car, what type of car would you be and why? And someone came forward and said, now, Jason, does this mean what type of car you are today? Or is this that aspirational car, right? Is it who you are today? Or is it your aspirational brand? And what I said was you really need to focus on is that car that you are today. Because remember, when you think about the lead with your brand system, it's all about your authenticity and knowing what you stand for today. That's got to be the first step, right? We can smell inauthenticity from a mile away And it reeks. As I'm walking down the strip, I can see all sorts of hodgepodgey things that are trying to be tourist traps. And it's very clear those are not the luxury resorts here, right? In the same way, you can't say that you want to be Sheryl Sandberg or Oprah Winfrey, right? You've got to start in that foundation of exactly who you are today, Because then the next step is turning up the volume and refining and supersizing who you are today, right? So it's not about being aspirational so much as it is taking who you are and turning up the volume, right? Making the things that you're great at even better and maybe bringing some of those things that people haven't seen in you but are true, up to the surface. You never want to be something phony and you never want to look around at your workplace and just choose somebody else's brand to be. Well, we've got an amazing show for you today. I have an old friend, David Ambrose, who is a national poverty and child welfare expert and advocate. He was recognized by President Obama as an American champion of change and currently serves as the head of Community Engagement West for Amazon, where he coordinates with nonprofits and community leaders for social good. He previously led corporate social responsibility for Walt Disney Television and served as the president of the Los Angeles City Planning Commission and as a California Child Welfare Council member. We'll be back in just a few moments with David Ambrose. All right, we are back, and I have an amazing, fabulous guest with us today. It is David Ambrose. David, what is going on?
0: Hello. I mean, amazing and fabulous, both.
1: (laughs) I'm going to
0: take that to the bank. Thank you very much for that self-esteem boost.
1: Of course. Well, David, I'm so excited to have you on the show because you've had an amazing career and you are an author of a book, A Place Called Home, that is coming soon.
0: Yes. And I like that you use that past tense. I am having an amazing career. (laughs) I am not dead yet. I am peak. I'm like living my best life, professionally and personally, so we're going to go ahead and use the present
1: tense. I'm having a mixing <laughs> career. Good catch. Well, let, let's let talk about the present. So my first question for you is, when you first meet people, how do you introduce yourself and describe what it is that you do and who you are? Wow.
0: Uh, well, if they're cute. No, uh, what I try to <laughs> do... You know, I try and live my life with the ratio of my eyes and my ears to my mouth. And before I try and do all that, it's kind of like pronouns today. You need to kind of listen and see where the lay of the land is and see how you can be a partner in that conversation. So what I try and do is figure out what is the moment I'm in and what is it call for. And then I pull out of my deck of cards the appropriate card. It doesn't mean being inauthentic, but if someone's here to talk about fun, then let's talk about fun. Um, so that's how I approach situations. And I also just try and be myself, no matter what I'm, outfit I'm wearing, I'm still just me underneath it.
1: Yeah. And so talk to us a little bit about, uh, your role at Amazon.
0: Sure. So, uh, throughout my career, I've had these amazing jobs and I sometimes feel like, uh, Forrest Gump meets Elegy. um, <laughs> uh, where I have, been privileged to find my way to jobs where I get to help communities. So my job is to go out in a region, the West, and find ways to build authentic relationships communities that could be philanthropy, board or volunteerism with our our fellow colleagues and all sorts of tools and tricks that I'm able to come up with and sell internally, which is honestly part of my brand. I I think I should get a tattoo called figure it out
1: Um, (laughs) because that's honestly what I've had to do at every step of my career. And, and so, let's go back, go back in time. Sure. How did you even get into the type of work that you do what What have been some of the career breakthroughs that that got you to this place, living your best personal life?
0: yeah, uh oh, well, great question. So it was a cold day in nineteen seventy No, I'm not gonna go there. Uh... <laughs> It was a cold day in the year 2001, and I was in charge of touring VIPs at Vassar College. And walking backward, there was this fellow who had a lot of spunk, and he and his family were touring, and I gave it right back to him, my authentic self, kind. And he's like, come work for me. Well, he turned out to be the chairman of ABC.
1: What? And I went
0: to law school. I worked at uh, Business Legal Affairs, and my whole career started from being present in that moment. And uh, taking advantage of an opportunity my college gave me, it didn't all magically then thereafter happen, but that was a key breakthrough moment for me. And that's how it happens sometimes. We're just kind of randomly out in the world. And that happens. Same thing with my next couple of jobs uh, that came from that one.
1: Yeah. And so so tell me, what have been some of those other career breakthrough moments now that you are in much more senior and executive level type of positions?
0: I always remember that uh, the interactions I have with other humans are what's going to determine my future opportunities. So. I, when I, when I was at Disney, I was at Disney for a very long time and I met a bunch of great people, one of whom introduced me to one of my new colleagues at Amazon. And he was making the switch from government to private. And I had transitioned to go from private to a nonprofit, yeah. which is a career we should talk about. Um, cause that didn't work. So we met each other just to kind of kvetch and talk and share best practices. Well, after that nonprofit moment didn't pan out, He sent me a link. He's like, you know, I think you should look at this. And that led to my career now with Amazon, which has came from this moment where I was authentically trying to share what I could figure out from working in nonprofit and government and public and private. And we swapped. And then he thought I was someone that he wanted to keep in touch with and sent me this opportunity.
1: So it's like all about the power of really great relationships. It sounds like
0: hundred percent, hundred percent. And the other part about great relationships is none of us are what we do. Mm. I think a lot of us walk around and think, oh God, I'm, I'm talking to so-and-so from such and such. I'm not Amazon. I'm David Ambrose. I'm a hoot. I bake bread. I'm gay. I have a great life. I like to go camping. I read a lot. I am not what I do. So mm-hmm. when we interact with people, like I interact with him, we, we went out for a drink. We talked about you know, his hobbies and he became a friend. And not everyone you meet is going to become your friend, but I don't walk around with a resume and a business card. I walk around and just be myself, but also just understand who I'm talking to and try and build authentic interest in what they're up to. Yeah, um, That's how I've mostly been successful, I would say.
1: Yeah. And so, David, you said that, you know, you made the switch, you moved from sort of entertainment and media into the nonprofit sector. And it sounds like that wasn't a great fit. So talk to me, what was the thought process of making the switch? And then when you were there, what was it that you realized that it wasn't for you?
0: I think part of what has made me successful in my life is I have a very clear vision of my goal when I get to uh, the end of it, which is, I grew up homeless and then foster care, and I had one hell of a first uh, period of life. And -hmm. I've always been very clear that my goal is to make sure kids have a better life than I did. And I'm not going to change every kid's life, but I'm going to damn well try. Yeah, That goal has been really crystal clear to me. I've always thought that I'd end up in the nonprofit space. I seem to keep living and thriving in the corporate space, but I've always thought that. So when COVID hit, a lot of things, I think a lot of us paused and said, geez, life is even more precious than we do. And so I thought, gosh, this is a moment for me to reimagine and reinvent myself. And I tried and it was an amazing organization. I have big love for them, but I realized very quickly that my orientation is to work inside of companies that I, I really enjoy the way they operate. I enjoy the people. I enjoy just the orientation in terms of goal and I'm able to help more nonprofits in these roles. And so I acknowledge that I tried something, it did not work, exited amicably, and quickly made my way into another corporation where I am thriving and really loving what I do.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's amazing that your focus on your mission. You're able to fulfill your life's mission working in the corporate sector that oftentimes people feel that's not possible.
0: Yeah. I always think it's funny. People think of nonprofits as some sort of weird island.
1: Nonprofits. <laughs> 501c, 501c3
0: is a section of the tax code. It's a business. It's a different type of business. And so when you aggregate a certain number of people, certain behaviors manifest. In my experience with nonprofits or corporations, it's, it's essentially people. And I have found a company's uh, the best long-term strategy is to do the right thing. And I love being in the room trying to convince them of what I think the right thing is um, and using my skills and passion to, to get them there. Not always successful, but I damn well try.
1: And, and how is it that over time you have found yourself to be so influential? And you said it doesn't work every single time. But what is it that you do to really convince big companies, big executives to be focused on doing good things?
0: Um, I think first and foremost is to realize that I'm part of a team usually. So at Disney, I, a, I assembled and created a great team. And on boss day, which is a national holiday, my team actually got me a, my team bought me a matching mug and t-shirt and it said the quote, figure it out quote. And the reason they got that for me is because I relentlessly told them to do that. They would come to me with all sorts of problems and issues. And I'm like, if I wanted your job, I would just keep your salary and do it myself. (laughs) And it wasn't to be a jerk. It was because I truly believe a lot of us have PTSD in the work environment where we feel like you have to C-Y-R-A every single day. And I always told them and told everyone that's ever worked for me that I will, I will back you up and give you air cover if you're falling towards the right thing. Mm. And in that space where I've empowered people, it has helped me be more effective in what I do and groom people to be as effective. And they go off and do great things. Um, I had one of the highest conversion rates from intern to employee when I was at Disney. And the reason is that just that I looked at an intern, and I thought, gosh, this is a person full of social capital. I'm going to give them a lot of responsibility yeah. and see how they do. That is what makes me, it. I have amplification of what I'm able to do by believing and supporting the people around me, hire the best, get the hell out of their way and badger them until they believe in themselves equally as much as you do in them.
1: Yeah. So really getting away from uh, let's have interns that get coffee all day and uh, and don't do stuff. Yeah.
0: You know, it's so funny when when I would interview everyone, I would say, Hey, you know, we all take out the trash. And I mean that quite literally Mm -hmm. when we would do production shoots, filming PSAs, I, I would set up craft services with the team or break things down. And it's not about, you know, performative servant leadership. It's about the reality that on a team, you know, you guys will define and determine your success together. So that's how I've been, I think, more influential than one human is to realize that I'm not a human. I am part of a team usually. And in yeah. that, I'm able to, to be more successful with my goals. Yeah.
1: And now, David, you shared a little bit about your childhood and some of those experiences. And I know that is central to your advocacy work and your new book, A Place Called Home. So tell us a little bit about the book and and what inspired you to write that. You know, I got to
0: a, a middle part of my career and COVID hit, and I really thought about most people don't know a lot about me. They think of me. I believe my brand is a pleasant and relentless warrior for good. Mm. And I love that. However, most people kind of vaguely know about my life, but don't understand necessarily really what I'm rooted in. And I'm rooted in, you know, up to almost 12 years of homelessness and living in cities and corners and uh, public places and then foster care, which is a really hard experience for me. I had one great foster family, otherwise really really challenging and negative and violent experience. Mm. That has rooted me to be really clear on what I want to accomplish. The other part, though, is I think we all look around and we collectively shrug at this point. We're kind of like, well, we can't figure that out. We sure the hell can figure it out. Uh, Today, there are as many homeless kids as there were when I was a kid. That is unacceptable. If we can send a man to the moon, we can figure this out. But I think we have to come out as people. And I don't just mean gay. I mean homeless. Most people look at me and have no idea that I spent more than a decade living on the streets. We have the opportunity to share our stories and inspire people to move from empathy to action, which is what I'm all about. Let's do something. Yeah. And let's do something smart. And we can figure out big things together. We're, we're a country that sent a man to the moon. We can do a lot more than shrug. And that's not just the collective. It's us as individuals. Yeah. So I, I wanted to share my story to motivate people, to inspire people, and also give them a plan for what I think the right answers are on some of the most intractable problems of our day, which is what's in the book as yeah.
1: well. And I know the book comes out this uh, September and we can pre-order it now, right?
0: In fact, this amazing company I work for, you can pre-order it on Amazon <laughs> and also go to your local bookstore and support them too. Uh, it's it's uh, pre-order right now. I recorded the audio book, which is a really fun experience. Um, and I, I hope you'll see that authenticity, which I think has served me very well in my career and been part of my brand. It comes through in that book. Uh, It's a through line in my life. And through that consistency and adherence, I've been able to achieve what I've been able to achieve.
1: Yeah, it's quite amazing. Uh, I know you were recognized by President Obama as an American champion of change. So so talk to us about being honored by a president of the United States. What was that like?
0: I, since I was 14, 15, realized that the systems I were in had a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. And I... I kept waiting for someone to figure it out. And what I realized is that's going to be kids and the families that experience these systems. And so since I was a young child, I have become an advocate for other foster kids. And when I was very young, I started working on issues pertaining to queer kids in foster care, which is really hard when I was growing up and violent. And and, um, today we would call it abusive. Yeah, I started very young on those issues and I have been at it my entire life. I've made it part of my work. And I'm really proud of of that. It's not something I do as a hobby. It's not a board I serve on. It is a huge part of my humanity and what I derive value from. I have met so many incredible people in that work that have advanced my career and supported me and given me community. I didn't apply to be honored by President Obama. It was folks that I had worked with across decades that nominated me to be recognized by the most powerful office in this world. Yeah. How was it? It was mortifying and beautiful. And <laughs> who, who do you respect more than President Barack Obama? Uh, maybe Michelle. Exactly. Um, so it was, it was a recognition, it was really meaningful to me because they, they realized or they recognized the work I'd done since I was a teenager all yeah. the way to my late 30s. It was so profound. A moment. And I am far from done, which is what this book is all about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, David, you've talked a lot about your career and how you've really intertwined your own experiences growing up to live, you know, what I'll maybe say is a mission-based life, right? So when you talk about your brand and you're the figure-it-out guy, right? Um, your, your teams have, have recognized you as that. Give me three words that describe David Ambrose.
0: Ooh, three words: um, blue spaghetti and kitten. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, relentless, mm. uh, authentic, mm. optimistic.
1: Ooh, so I love relentless and optimistic, right? Because sometimes those are words that uh, that feel like. They rub up against (laughs) one another. So how do you remain relentless yet still have this optimistic, inspiring element going on?
0: Okay. Stay seated. I'm going to say something very radical. We live in the most equitable, healthy, safe world in human history. Mm. It's true. Yeah. How does that feel? All we focus on are the things we need to fix, which we should acknowledge. There are big problems we need to solve, but pause for a second and acknowledge that we've made tremendous strides as a society, especially in this country. We are far from perfect, far from perfect. But if we only ever focus on the fire, we don't realize all the good that is going on in our world. And that is where I renew myself as I look at it and I go, oh my God, in any other time period, I'd probably be dead. Mm. I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today in my own home with this job, having written a book. I'm here because this country took care of me imperfectly. I'm here because I live in a society that values human life and wanted me to live. Yeah, <laughs> I am here because people took me into their home. I'm here because we chose to have food stamps and fed me. I'm here because churches fed me. I'm here because a college, Vassar, gave me a scholarship. Mm. We live in a beautiful place and a great time, and we should focus on fixing things. How do we remain optimistic? How could you not be optimistic? <laughs> I am, we are swimming in beautiful and wonderful things. We should renew ourselves in that for the fights that we need to have, and we need to have them. But I don't live in a world that's dark. I don't live in uh, President Trump's inaugural speech of carnage. I live in a beautiful place where everything's possible. I live in the Kennedy inaugural.
1: hmm yeah. And and talk to me about the word authentic, right? Because I feel like people throw that around, you know, like, oh, I'm an authentic leader. I'm my authentic self. What does being authentic mean to you as a leader and a person? What does that look like on a daily basis?
0: Authenticity is a phrase kind of like cool or good. When people ask me, how are you? What do we say? Good. Yeah. What does it actually mean? Authenticity to each of us is going to be a unique animal, and it doesn't mean you can go around with all your stripes shown in every environment, especially if you're in a place where that's not safe or or cool. And I, I recognize that. For me, what it has meant has been when I am successful, where I've been successful, has been when I have shown up as a person who acknowledges everything about me. It doesn't mean when I got out of law school, they advised me to put together a straight resume. And by the way, it worked. There are periods of time when you have to struggle through racism, classism, sexism, homophobia, all the isms. But over time, increasingly, I've become David Ambrose, the advocate for children who can operate in a corporate environment, who cares passionately. You may think a lot of things about me, but you know exactly what I prioritize, and that's because in all areas of my life I have, that doesn't mean I'm perfect, doesn't mean I you know, don't you have a hidden album on my Apple iPhone, but I don't show up and pretend to care about cars. I don't pretend to, to do things that are not about myself or um, authentic to myself. As a leader with people, I acknowledge relentlessly that I just don't know. You do not want me manipulating Excel spreadsheets. You do not want me <laughs> back of house. You don't. You just don't. Um, but if you want me to figure out a Gordian knot, I will. If you want me to figure out how to move on a social impact issue, I will. If you want me to figure things out, I can. So I think by doing that relentlessly and persistently, I've been able to develop what I would co- what I may call a brand. Yeah, It's just who I am.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's really taking that authentic you, but bringing it through. To the forefront every single day.
0: Absolutely. Joyous warrior. You know, whatever, whatever you're in, whatever you think about, we're all people. Like, do you want to go with people who are grumpy? Do you want to work with Eeyore or Tigger? And let's be real. Let's be real. So how can you be a joyous warrior? How can you show up and like, you know, make each other feel like this is someone I want to be part of. I, I, I share their vision, whatever it is, even if we're not, that's not our issue. Yeah, um, And that's what I've tried to be. Make jokes, have fun, be myself, serious, get stuff done, uh, and be relentless about that. But also just be a joyous warrior.
1: Yeah. And so, David, has that always been your brand throughout your career? Or have you evolved and sort of tweaked that over time?
0: I think it's a privilege I've acquired over time. It's a privilege o- require, acquired over time through both rough patches wisdom jobs that I could didn't get and I think all of us over time develop that what I've had throughout that time is a really clear overall goal in my life that I never knew if you had asked me when I was whatever age where I'd be at this moment I would have gotten it very wrong but the consistency in my vision has served me very well. But I think that brand over time has emerged and it's served me well. It will not serve everyone well. All of us have different strengths uh, and weaknesses and you have to own that and own them. And I think I have. Uh, And that has served me over time is to continually realize that, you know, I can, (laughs) I was once told, you know, um, I got a job, which I won't name. And I'm like, I asked somebody in the process, I'm like, why did you, you know, why did you hire me? And they're like, we knew that if we sent you into a room and you only had an hour to get people not not to hate us, but to like, that would look like you. You would go into a room and convince people through your authentic self that they should give us a second look. And I've had a number of jobs where that has been a criteria for my hiring.
1: Wow. Wow. Now, I love that you said, you know, your brand is kind of that authentic Piece that's you, but we all know that the thing about brands is every brand isn't for every person. So tell me about a time in your career where maybe your brand, who you are authentically, it just didn't mesh with someone, or maybe you got some feedback that caused you to kind of hit pause and and recalibrate a little.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, an example would be early in my career, I worked at a nonprofit foundation, and I came in guns a blazing, and I was convinced that I knew the vision of how to move us forward. And, you know, we had almost no money in the endowment. We had thousands of people relying on us to be way more successful than we were. And I remember at the time, I did not respect or acknowledge the role of my board. Mm. I was immature in many respects in my career. And I looked at them and I thought, gosh, this is a benign junta with very little to add value to my life. And I got to figure out how to move them out. Ultimately, that did not serve me well. I had to check my ego. I had all these ideas and, you know, some of them had to go, but I also had to learn, gosh, how can I tap into what they have to offer? Mm. And so I'll give you for instance, I wanted to help operate and open businesses underneath the rubric of a foundation, a nonprofit. Yeah. And some of them are like, hell no, you can't do that. I'm like, sure you can. I'm an attorney. Let's incorporate and one of my board members believed in it, and he worked with me to help incorporate two businesses underneath our our foundation, which led us to have passive income, which allowed me to staff up and do the work to create more sustainable giving to the foundation. Mm. I, I came into that organization with unchecked ego, and I walked out after four years, learned my lesson that even if... Even if you look at something plain, you don't always see all the corners of it. Sometimes you're mm. too close to it. And I, I gained a lot out of that experience that has served me very well since then. Wow.
1: So let's go back to a place called home. You have laid out a few things that you think we can do as a country and a society uh, to do to help uh people experiencing homelessness, give our listeners a sense of what are some things that we could individually do to help get to a more perfect union, as you described? Absolutely. So first of all, we'll
0: only touch upon a few, and I encourage folks to go to my website. There's a, a link called Activism, where I have a buffet of options, everything from uh, Donate Your Small Talk, which is a campaign I started where people, instead of asking about weekends, can talk about issues that actually matter, Um, because no one really cares what you did that weekend, just FYI, (laughs) to donate a dollar to get more engaged in in more profound ways. The biggest thing I believe in uh, my advocacy is to start with this root idea that each of us and collectively can do big things to solve problems. We seem to have abandoned this idea that we can fix things. We seem to just shirk our shoulders and think that voting every four years makes this a democracy and republic. It doesn't. Our individual activism is what makes that happen. So I encourage folks to think, for example, who is your school board member? What are their issues? We have a school system in Los Angeles. Does anyone know the graduation rate for kids and family, kids experiencing homelessness or kids of color? We should fix that. We obsess over the Supreme Court while we ignore the most upwardly mobile, equitable factory in our society, which is public education. Mm. So what I ask about in the book is first to cement in your heart this idea that you can do something and then inquire what that is. Concretely, as it relates to foster care, just to give you a a solid example, if you are in a home with someone with a college degree, you are 90% more likely to get one yourself if you close your eyes for a second and think about the foster home you would want to place your child in, what does it look like? Mm. I can almost guarantee you it's not the ones that exist today. And that's no, no uh, disrespect to people doing the work to foster. God bless them. But why don't we have that system? Yeah. If that's not good enough for your kid, how do we make that our policy that we ask our elected people to do that? How do we center children and families in how we vote? Not as some sort of radical political statement. But as a basic moral and economic argument, the afterword of A Place Called Home talks a lot about issues and solutions as it relates to poverty and children. And I encourage folks to go to my website and, and of course, buy the book and check out the afterword for a very clear guide on how you can get engaged, involved and start solving these problems.
1: Yeah, And uh, for our listeners, check out the show notes for all of those great uh, links there. So, David, a couple of fun questions to close us out. Um, We've been talking about your brand. What is your favorite brand as a consumer? What can't you live without or what are you obsessed with?
0: Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Um, You have to give me a category. I am obsessed. I became a uh, COVID-19 isolated sourdough bread baking homosexual. (laughs) Uh, I obsessively follow all these bakers all over the world, even though sometimes their instructions are in languages I don't even know. And I just love the artistry and the diversity of, you know, a product that has nurtured humanity for eons that has very simple ingredients, water, flour, salt, and love. And I am obsessed about that. It is Sometimes we have to just check ourselves and do something that has a beginning, middle and end. Yeah. And I love that. I can pour myself into that. Um, I'm obsessed. I'm a foster dad. I just like try not to stalk my foster son, but I just really always think about him and want to check in with him. And he's doing really well. And I'm sure he wants to be left alone mostly, but um, uh, obsessed with parenting. What else am I obsessed with? Uh, I would say, just generically and high level, I'm obsessed with local politics. I just love knowing what's going on. I love like who's in charge of trimming that tree. How do we, how do we get that tree trimmed? What's going on with my neighborhood? I love, love this stuff because we can actually solve it. And I, I'm able to have something that I, I can do in my, my actual community TV wise. I mean, the morning show, can we just talk?
1: <laughs> and why obsessed. do you love the
0: morning show? Because having worked in news supporting it, it is too accurate for comfort. Right.
1: Right. Too there, accurate for comfort. There are times when I watch that and I'm like, the makeup lady looks exactly like the makeup lady <laughs> at 30 Rock. I'm like, this is insane.
0: Insane. And so, so good. So TV-wise there... Um, but, but that's kind of my obsessions. That's my things that I'm obsessed with
1: right now. Yeah. Now, if David Ambrose was a type of car, what type of car would you be?
0: The one that I own, a BMW X3e, which has a good amount of all-electric miles, but actually can go the distance because I like to use it to go camping. I love mm. my car. Absolutely love my car. Um, and why are you like my- that car? Uh, I am very flexible. I prefer to do things one way, but I can also do things another way if needs be. I can go off-road. I can be on the road and look gorgeous doing it, but get a little mud on me if I need to.
1: <laughs> and finally, David, what's the best career advice that you'd like to pass on to our listeners?
0: I, I would give two if I might. First, mm. I talked to a lot of foster kids. My sister was a social worker for, for de- more than a decade, and she would send some of the young people to talk to me. And I'd give them a couple pieces of advice. First thing I would say to them, because a lot of them are kids of color or girls, and I'm a cisgendered white guy, but I would say all of us every single day in our lives are unfairly judged Mm. and it sucks. But the moment you realize it, you begin to have the power because you can use people's unjustified shortcuts to advance your own goals. If people misjudge you or underestimate you and you know that, You can be aggrieved, or you can begin to arm yourself with that information and figure out how to use it. It's like jujitsu or the matrix. You begin to have the power as opposed to being the victim of that. It doesn't solve it. I don't like it, but it's reality. And so I talked to a lot of young people about walking into a room and being of a particular whatever, and how do you use that? The second piece, which I think is vital, which I wish someone had told me when I was young or younger, is your contacts. It's not enough to rely on social media. Your contacts are how you're going to advance throughout your life, and not just to selfishly do so, but also selflessly. When I wanna fundraise for a cause, I go to my outlook, excuse me, I go to my Apple contacts and I look things up. I have categories. I keep in touch with people, I follow people, I I integrate notes, and I keep adding people that I meet into those contacts. So if you were to ask me right now, hey, do you know anyone who distills liquor? I would go into my contacts and find some folks for you to talk to. That has served me very well, is to nurture and guide those contacts forward and make sure that I'm adding value to those folks' lives as well, even if it's just the occasional touch base. That has served me incredibly well. Mm.
1: Mm. Well, David Ambrose, thank you so much for being on the show. Such an inspiring story. And I can't wait to read A Place Called Home. Make sure that you go out and pre-order that on Amazon now. Thank you, David.
0: Oh, my gosh. Thank you. It was really fun. I appreciate the the time and uh, really fun to talk to you today.
1: Absolutely. And we'll be back in just a few moments with my final thoughts
2: are you tired of not being recognized for your work are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level the lead with your brand career breakthrough mentoring program will help you take control of your career develop your own unique brand and catapult you to a whole new level of success you are a top performer and the lead with your brand career breakthrough mentoring program is what you need to get you there visit leadwithyourbrand.com to learn how
1: Wow, what an inspiring conversation with David Ambrose the head of community engagement West for Amazon, and the author of the upcoming book, A Place Called Home. You know, David had so many great tidbits and things to share, but you know what really stood out for me was the whole notion of mission. I loved that David is so crystal clear on what his goal is, that it has driven him in his work as an advocate, and it's driven him in his work throughout his career. I love that he realized a way that he can work in corporate America and still fulfill his mission of doing good. So let me ask you, for your homework, what is your mission? What is your goal? What is your North Star? What are you here to do? And how can you incorporate that into the work that you do every single day? How can you tailor your job and how can you seek out those roles that help you bring your mission forward and help you lead with your brand? Well, that's our show for today. If you loved what you heard, make sure that you follow us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and we'll deliver you a brand new show and interview every Tuesday. Make sure to check me out on social media. I'm at Jason Patria on all platforms and especially check me out on LinkedIn where I share tons of tips and tricks of how you can lead with your brand. And I love to answer questions and carry on conversations. But most important, In your career, don't be a boring old commodity like coffee. Make sure you are a super premium brand like Starbucks.
2: You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria.